everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a great whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. Lisa's been out of town a lot on business lately, and so I've been watching a lot of Blue Planet and Planet Earth, which are great, but if you haven't seen them, just so you know, spoiler alert, same fucking planet. Trying to pass it off like it's two different things. Nah, man. Kept waiting for the big reveal at the end where a shark swims up to a coral reef in Blue Planet and is like, wait a minute, that coral, it was Earth the whole time. But that doesn't happen. For a number of reasons, probably foremost amongst them being that sharks don't talk with the possible exception of Jabberjaws. But when people have been asking me what I've been watching, I've generally been saying, oh, you know, reality television. Because technically nature documentaries are reality television, and that way I don't come off as too highfalutin, when in reality I'm just the regular amount of falutin like everybody else. Anyway, I think more people should start referring to nature documentaries as reality TV, because A... If people start considering bears reality TV stars, then there's a pretty good chance I can start buying Ranger Rick and Zoo Books at the checkout stand at the supermarket, which would be very convenient for me. And two, even if they don't, if they start featuring bears and reporting on them in the same way that they do reality TV stars in regular tabloids, I would totally start buying those to find out who that bear has been canoodling with. Probably a tree trunk. Or see if they Photoshop pictures of other celebrities in to make it look like they're hanging out with the bear in a compromising position. Like, they crop in a photo of Kylie Jenner batting a salmon out of a stream and having a grisly look on admiringly. Or have Cardigan Brock Morton sticking his hand inside a beehive and getting stung while a Kodiak just stands there and rolls his eyes at him. Oh, Cardigan Brockmorton, you're the worst. Anyway, that's enough of my jibber-jabbering, some of which was about jabber-jaws. So let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Matt Laserwitz. Comics can be confusing, hard to get the gist. Need help with Titans or Defenders? Here's a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Matt. Defenders, number 47. May, 1977. Night Moves. Scripted by John Warner. Plotted by David Anthony Kraft and Roger Sleifer. Penciled by Keith Giffen. Inked by Klaus Janssen. Colored probably by Klaus Janssen. It looks like his work, but I couldn't find a specific credit for the colorist. So my best guess is colored by Klaus Janssen. Lettered by Gaspar Saladin and John Costanza. And edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. Nighthawk. The Incredible Hulk. Hellcat. Clea. Moon Knight, and Jack Norris. Also Wonder Man and Nick Fury are there, but I 
don't think even under the Freebird rules they count as defenders. Previously in the Defenders. The dynamic defenders were in an unprecedented state of upheaval, after temporarily being possessed by a mystical ruby which turned him from a condescending misogynist control freak into a condescending misogynist control freak who wore a lot of red and a turban, Doctor Strange decided to quit our titular non-team. Relatively recent recruits, the Red Guardian and Luke Cage, also opted to bid the defenders a fairly fond farewell. Billionaire duel bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk, figured that as the only wealthy white man left on the team, the mantle of leadership naturally fell to him. What an asshole! Nighthawk informed his remaining non-teammates that they would be relocating their base of operations from the Sanctum Sanctimonious to the abandoned riding academy the presumptuous plutocrat had previously purchased about 30 issues ago to help him hit on a then-vulnerable Valkyrie. When the gang arrived at their new headquarters, they were attacked by an evil jerk in a red outfit. Was Steve up to his ruby-inspired shenanigans again? No, this time the crimson crumbum in question was Scorpio, Nick Fury's astrologically obsessed asshole brother. The Zodiac Zealot had been intending to ambush Nighthawk's alter ego and soon found himself overpowered by a quartet of costumed crime fighters. After a brief scuffle, the surprise supervillain skedaddled. Meanwhile, Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body is the current host for the sorcerously created Persona Valkyrie, was on the run from some mysterious strangers. The matrimonially-minded meathead had fled to an oil refinery in New Jersey and was hiding behind some equipment when he was ambushed and knocked unconscious by his pursuers. Hooray! The leader of the Jack-attacking mystery man emerged from the shadows and revealed himself to be none other than Nick Fury, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Gadzooks! What will our protagonists do now that they've been attacked for no reason after having their superhero headquarters invaded? What will be Kyle's first act as the self-appointed leader of the Defenders? And just what sort of hero is willing to join up with a group that has Kyle as a leader? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... They attack someone for no reason after invading a superhero headquarters. He takes a bath and reads some comics in the tub. And a rich white guy with a billowing cape whose powers only work at night. Hmm, sensing a trend here. Before joining up with the Defenders to take out a ruby-influenced Doctor Strange, Hellcat, aka Patsy Walker, had asked her old buddies the Avengers if they could be on call in case she needed backup. Seeing as Steve is now back to as close to normal as he's likely to get, she figures she ought to swing by the mansion and let the Avengers know that everything's cool now and they can relax. Well... Turns out she needn't have bothered, because as soon as Patsy had delivered her dire warning and asked her friends to await her distress call, they all left town. Dick move, Avengers. The good news is, they left a newly resurrected Wonder Man to house-sit for them. The bad news is, Hellcat and Wonder Man have never met, so they have a patented superhero misunderstanding trademark, and start beating the snot out of each other. During the course of the scuffle, a whole bunch of heavy computers and shit falls on their heads. Wonder Man is able to use his super strength to partially shield them from the full impact of the falling equipment, but both heroes still end up buried under a pile of rubble. Whoops. Meanwhile, at a certain oil refinery in New Jersey, Jack Norris has just been shot with an energy weapon by Nick Fury and is lying unconscious on the concrete. I know I already said this in the previous in, but... Hooray! 
Nick orders his underlings to load Norris's body into the car when they are interrupted by the unexpected arrival of a certain nocturnal crime fighter who has managed to sneak up on the asshole abducting spies despite the fact that he is wearing a gleaming white and silver outfit with a long billowing cape. That's right, it's the Fist of Khonshu himself, Moon Knight. Hooray! Moon Knight is a former mercenary named Mark Spector who got betrayed by his mercenary buddies and died in the desert. Then he got better. An ancient Egyptian deity brought him back to life and was like, Hey, you should start dressing like Batman, only in white and without the pointy ears. So he did. Also, now he gets stronger at night. Although, whether it's as strong as two strong men is anybody's guess. He fights crime and werewolves and pretty much whatever else he feels like. Today it looks like heads of secret government organizations is what he feels like. Fair enough. The lunar-themed vigilante sees Nick and his buddies carting off an unconscious dude and tells them to knock it off. Fury points out that he's working for the government, and Moon Knight points out that he doesn't give a shit. They start duking it out. During the course of the kerfuffle, Jack Norris wakes up and starts throwing haymakers at his would-be abductors. They don't care for that. Fury decides that he's tired of fighting Moon Knight, so he throws a smoke bomb. When the vapors clear, Moon Knight and Jack Norris are alone. The former mercenary asked the continually canubially confused creep, Why were those guys after you? Norris replies, Where's my wife? I, I mean, I don't know. Sorry. Force a habit. Speaking of the woman that Jack Norris refuses to stop calling his wife, Valkyrie heads back to Greenwich Village to stop by the Sanctum Sanctimonious and pick up some of her things. She runs into Clea, Steve's disciple slash love interest, a not-at-all-creepy combination. After greeting Clea warmly, the sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger says, Hey, you remember how a while ago you made me that new costume that made me look kind of like a shiny gold burrito with a blue cape, but then I just kind of stopped wearing it and changed back into my old costume with the metal cones over my breasts? Well, I thought the readers, I mean, you, Clea, might want to know why that happened all of a sudden with no explanation. Clea replies, Oh, I just figured it was because it was kind of ugly and made you look like a gold burrito with a blue cape. Val is like, what? No! Well, kind of. But mostly, it's just that a while ago, Doctor Strange worked up that spell where whenever I'm wearing civilian clothes and I draw my magic sword, I just automatically change in my superhero duds. I guess Steve must have liked the metal cones, because that still seems to be the default setting for the spell. Clea goes, yeah, that sounds about right. I always figured Steve had a thing for geometric shapes. That's why I wear this weird triangle around my neck. Anyway, if that's the only problem, I can modify the spell to make you change into your new outfit. Tell you what, while I'm at it, I think I'll make a few tweaks if you don't mind and make the whole thing look a little more Flash Gordon and a little less burrito. Val agrees that that sounds like a good idea. Back at the riding academy that our heroes now call their home, Kyle wants to gossip with the Hulk about their teammates, but the Green Goliath is all like, Stupid bird nose want to spill the tea with Hulk? Hulk not trying to hear that mess. Then he jumps to New Mexico. Good for you, the Hulk. Bye. Finding himself unexpectedly alone for the day, Kyle decides to take a bath and read Doonesbury in the tub. Man, Nighthawk doesn't earn very many of these, but... Hooray! After a few hours, the now pruny plutocrat finishes sounding out the words and pretending he gets the political references. So, he gets on the phone and arranges to meet a lady for some drinks that night. Back at the Sanctum, Val and Clea are still discussing the intricacies of mystical fashion design when they are startled by the arrival of a pair of uninvited guests. 
Jack Norris bursts into the room and exclaims, Where's my wife? Oh, there you are. Well, where's everybody else? Val coolly greets the boundary bereft buffoon and asks, Is it forever already? Because I could have sworn I told you to fuck off forever. Where does the time go? Norris is like, Calm down, Val. It's not like that. I'm only here because I want something. Bet you feel silly now. And it's not like I came empty-handed. I brought you all this exposition. And with that, the spouse-stalking supplicant launches into a lengthy third-person narrative explaining his predicament. An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, Jack tricked Nighthawk into paying him $300,000 to go away and never come back. Jack used the money to set himself up as a comedically incompetent freelance spy in a misguided attempt to help the defenders on a case. It went pretty much the way you would expect. The villain Jack was investigating, a sexy scientist-slash-presidential candidate named Ruby Thursday, who secretly had a magic red bowling ball for a head, caught on to Jack's bullshit almost immediately and knocked him out. Hooray. He escaped, so she knocked him out again. Hooray! Eventually, the defenders ended up thwarting Ruby and her evil pals. After the whole thing was over, Norris went back to pick up his car and found that some guys from S.H.I.E.L.D. wanted to ask him some questions about the now-missing candidate. Jack was his usual obstinate self, but these guys weren't willing to take WHERE'S MY WIFE for an answer. They gave him some drugs, and Nick Fury showed up and yelled at him. Details are a little hazy on account of the drugs and the yelling, but he didn't tell the agents anything because he didn't want them to bother the defenders, and also because Steve probably used some magic to keep him from blabbing, and also because he didn't really know anything. After a while, they let him go, because even if they were unscrupulous agents of a secret shadow government, they were still human, and nobody wants to be around Jack Norris for any longer than is absolutely necessary. Then, just a few days ago, some S.H.I.E.L.D. guys showed up and started following him around. Which brings us up to speed. At this point, Moon Knight pipes up and says, I am also here, and my name is Moon Knight. Good for you, buddy. Valkyrie suggests that they all stop by the Avengers place and see if Hellcat could ask her buddies if they know what S.H.I.E.L.D. is up to. When the heroes, and Jack Norris, show up at the Avengers mansion, they hear the sounds of a dust-up coming from inside. Val and Moon Knight rush through the door just as Wonder Man is freeing himself and an unconscious Hellcat from the pile of fancy computers that landed on their heads. Looks like it's time for another good old-fashioned superhero misunderstanding, trademark. Valkyrie and Moon Knight attack Wonder Man, and the three of them slug it out for a few pages. After a while, Hellcat wakes up and intervenes. She explains to the defenders that Wonder Man probably isn't evil because he saved her from getting smushed, and shows Wonder Man a video of Iron Man saying that she is a nice lady. Everybody says they're sorry. Before there is time for the colorfully clad costumed crime fighters to have another misunderstanding, trademark, the Avengers' giant TV monitor blinks to life, and a familiar face appears on it. It is Nick Fury. The monocular Machiavellian mastermind announces to the Avengers that he would appreciate their assistance in apprehending one Mr. Jack Norris. He says that Norris seems like a real paranoid asshole, but if they see him, try not to hurt him. S.H.I.E.L.D. just wants to question him about something that is super important. Wow. I bet that is the first time that the words wanted and important have ever been applied to Jack Norris. You know, except maybe something like, I wanted you to know that if you don't stop shouting, where's my wife, I'm going to beat you to death with this important table. 
the table is important because I like to put magazines on it. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am okay. How are you? I am doing really well. Now, eagle-brained listeners will remember that last week, you were sitting on the throne of Atlantis after a series of miscommunications had led to you being appointed their ruler. Now, did you find an appropriate regent to rule in your stead? Uh, well, the thing is, the details are a little fuzzy. Oh, sure, sure. I can understand there was that magic conch shell. Yeah. And, uh, Atlantean wine. Oh, strong stuff. Oof. Packs a wallop. Near as I can tell, everything's fine, though. I haven't heard otherwise. Okay. So no news is generally good news. Glad to hear it. Yep. So, what'd you think of this comic book? I thought this was pretty fun. I don't know, I guess it's setting up something to happen. I don't, it's a little more Norris heavy than I would prefer. Yeah, was, wasn't crazy about that. Overall, yeah, I thought it was fun. It moved along briskly. It did seem like a ton of stuff happened, but with no consequence. I think it is a filler issue, which you kind of get at the fact that there is a different scripter for this issue than there has been, and then there will be going forward, which is usually a sign that that's going to be the case. And yeah, so for everything that happened, it seemed like it mostly got erased at the end of the issue. Really, the only main change that we have is that now Moon Knight is hanging out with our heroes. Mm -hmm. And Val's got a new costume. Right. That is like her old new costume, but not quite like her old new costume. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that this, this is a topic that's come up a lot in these comics before, but... Man, a little more communication would go a long way towards avoiding needless folly and destruction of Avengers property. Just call ahead. I mean, even Kyle Richmond is like, yeah, I don't know why Hellcat isn't just calling ahead, but I guess she likes to hang out with superheroes, so whatever. Yeah, it's just her thing. But yeah, so much combat could have been avoided if that was the case. And that is most of this issue is taken up with a couple of miscommunication trademark uh, superhero (laughs) battles with Wonder Man. First, Hellcat swings by the Avengers mansion to say, hey, just calling off the uh, ruby alert for you guys. You remember how I told you that you should be worried that there was a ruby threat coming and then I never got back to you about that? Well, it's fine now. Mm -hmm. And so then she bumps into Wonder Man and they have a real Donnybrook. I really liked how the combination of super duper strength and being really easily startled is kind of what kicked off the whole kerfuffle. <laughs> Which makes sense. I would be the worst candidate for super strength because I startle super easily. Yeah, me too. And he's just like fiddling with some knobs or something and Hellcat shows up and he's like, huh? And rips half the wall off and she's like, ah, you're destroying things. Boy, the Avengers are not going to be happy when they get home. Then <laughs> a wall falls over. Having a clumsy, super strong guy be your caretaker is significantly worse than not having a caretaker. Destruction results. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they should have had just, like, Rick Jones or somebody stop by. Hmm. Like, say, hey, can you watch the place? Rather than, hey, you died a while ago and now you're back. You want to just crash at our house till you get back on your feet? We're off in space, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they were doing at this point. Probably space. Sure. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know either. Seems like they go to space a lot. Mm-hmm. 
So we get introduced to a couple of characters in this issue. I mean, we may, we've seen them before in the Marvel Universe, but they're new to the Defenders. Uh, one of them, as we mentioned, is Wonder Man. Any familiarity with Wonder Man? Nope. This was my first, uh, that I can recall, introduction to the character. He has changed a bunch over the years. I first encountered him when I was reading the West Coast Avengers series in the 80s. But he's kind of an Avengers mainstay. He was a business rival to Tony Stark and developed superpowers. The details are a little bit hazy, but he showed up, intended to destroy the Avengers, and then turned on, I'm going to say it was Ultron probably. Ding! Editor's note, it was not in fact Ultron, it was Baron Zemo. Back to you, misinformed past hub. And in the process, died. And it was a really surprising thing. You didn't have generally heroes die at Mm -hmm. that point and he had established himself however briefly as a hero not a villain and it's actually the story that george rr martin he was a big avengers fan at the time and a big comic book fan and he has cited it as yeah after i read that issue i was like whoa you can just kill characters Mm. i'm doing that all the time no shit really yeah oh wow so That's kind of who Wonder Man is. After he came back from being vaporized or whatever, he became kind of a different character. They kind of dropped that he was a wealthy industrialist. And he became a stuntman and used his superpowers to be a stuntman in movies. And that was kind of a thing he had going forward, uh, at least throughout the 80s. And I thought that was kind of a fun character twist. But Hmm. I like Wonder Man. He doesn't really do a heck of a lot in this except for a series of, Oh, you're probably a supervillain. I'm going to attack you. And so, yeah, he goes through that with Hellcat. He goes through it later with Valkyrie and Moon Knight. Yep. So, yeah, that's Wonder Man in this issue. He seems fine. Kind of a big, clumsy lummox who means well, tries hard, does a bad job. Pretty much. The other character we meet in this is Moon Knight. Were you familiar at all with Moon Knight? I was. He showed up in some comics I had read a long time ago, but I am fuzzy on his story. I love Moon Knight. Moon Knight was one of my first favorite characters. Marvel did kind of a push with him in the late 80s, early 90s to try to bring the character back, and another one more recently. When he first started off, he was a foil for Werewolf by Night, because he was a guy who like was associated with the moon, so he got your werewolf connection, Mm -hmm. and he had an array of silver weapons. Mm. And... He used those to fight Werewolf by Night. You ever read any Werewolf by Night? No, I never read that. It's great. My favorite thing about the series by far is that the titular werewolf, his alter ego, is named Jack Russell, (laughs) (laughs) which is a great name for the alter ego of Werewolf. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, Moon Knight fought Werewolf by Night and was eventually like, this guy's not so bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hate werewolves, but this guy's not so bad. And went from that to briefly at least being just kind of a Batman knockoff. He had been described kind of as Marvel's version of Batman, which is interesting because that's also kind of what Kyle is Mm -hmm. in a different way. But then as Moon Knight progressed on, they added more layers to his character. He had a series of alter egos, and it got written in that those represent multiple personalities that he has. Oh, There's also an element of mysticism. He believes himself to get powers from Khonshu, which was an ancient Egyptian god of the night. But yeah, at this point when he's appearing here, he's 
mostly just kind of a Batman knockoff who probably hates werewolves. And uh, he's not real big on the government either. No, man. Yeah. I like this guy. I like the cut of his jib. He's all right. Yeah. I wish it would maybe be directed towards other goals than rescuing Jack Norris, but... For no reason. No, he just sees... Whatsoever. He sees people arresting Jack Norris, and he's just like, yeah, fuck that. He gives a little speech about, hey, where I'm from, abduction and uh, arrest, arrest. Aren't, yeah. aren't synonyms, buddy. Nick Fury, so... Yeah. but Nick Fury does, like, immediately identify himself, and then he's like, yeah, I don't care. He's like, hey, this is a government operation. Yeah, and, and Moon Knight's like, fuck all that shit. <laughs> yep. Libertarian for life. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. I know you like him. that. I want to like this character. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to call the militia. Well, I still like him. <laughs> All right. Reach across the aisle. Yeah. Compromise. Just reach that silver baton across the and aisle. You got to make a... And whap a dude in a turtleneck on the head with it. Yeah, those guys, I, I would say mock turtlenecks. Mm. Well, I do intend to mock them. Oh, shit. Yeah, it is some oddly attired S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are accompanying Nick Fury. Yeah, it, it, to me it seemed very 80s, although we're not quite there yet. But no. I guess there was that whole period between the late 70s and early 80s where just nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they definitely figured it out by the early 80s. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. of course. I mean... But yeah, in that gotta... weird liminal space before they had things completely dialed in mm -hmm. fashion-wise the way they did in the early 80s. Yeah, there were some odd things happening. Yeah, like... Do I wear these large cuffed pants or tiny cuffed pants? I don't know. Yeah. How big should my shoulder pads be? Very? Very, very? Very, very, very? It's one of the three, but we don't know. Yeah. And then they finally figured it out. No, those three options are still all too small. Too small. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a confusing time. Hmm. You mentioned before uh, we get a new costume for Val. How do you like her new costume? It's okay. Yeah, it's more sci-fi uniform looking than medieval warrior woman mm -hmm. uniform, which is an okay aesthetic. I think I think it works pretty well. I like it better than the old new uniform, and I think in a lot of ways it's an improvement off her old uniform, but probably more practical. Yeah, like the the boob plate armor is is not ideal. Then again, I mean her new uniform doesn't appear to be armored at all, right? Except for, like, maybe the knee parts of those big boots. Are those called greaves? Uh, that's an armor thing. Yeah, I seems can't like it. what part. It's probably that part. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's nice. And she's got, like, one metal sleeve that she can use instead of a shield, maybe? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. It seems like there's some nods towards practicality in it. She's not just wrapped up like a gold burrito the way she was in her old new uniform. And she doesn't have the... I think we discussed it on this, the difference between a breastplate being actually something that is useful and that it would deflect sword blows as opposed to her, for lack of a better word, boob plate being something that would direct all force <laughs> to her sternum, yeah. which is n not ideal. Yeah, it's not a plate really so much as cones. Yeah, which is probably not terribly practical. No. So I'm okay with this new uniform. I yeah. think it's pretty good. It's fine. 
What I did like is the explanation. I think this is actually a fairly elegant retcon for why she had been wearing her old uniform again after being gifted a new uniform that really just wasn't working for anybody. She explains to Clea, Oh, I totally loved the new uniform you gave me. It's just, there's this spell that whenever I take my sword out, I change into my uniform, and it just got reset. I, I forgot to hit save or something. And so now when I draw my sword out, it just went automatically back to my old uniform, which I think actually makes a lot of sense. It also may just be her making an excuse for having thrown it out. Yeah, but excuse or no, Clay is like, oh, hey, good point. We can fix that. So no more excuses if Al doesn't like the new one. Mm-hmm. Clea does a great job, too. And doesn't seem to have hurt feelings. When Val's like, yeah, I really didn't know how to do this, but uh, I don't have the costume you made me. Clea's like, oh, yeah, I just figured you didn't like it. That's cool. Yeah, I know. She seems so down to earth. Yeah, she's so cool. Yeah. It seems like they teach pretty good, like, practicality and, to a certain extent, self-confidence in the dark dimension where she comes from. Like, down-to-earthness. Yeah, just level-headed. Yep. Good e for her. Even keel. Yeah. Which I guess you would need if you were going to date Steve. I don't know, man. I might say that's a bad fit. Yeah? You can't have two in if a you're, relationship. If you're the only one that's reasonable all the time, <laughs> it gets old. I'm just saying. Not yeah. necessarily that I've been that person. <laughs> I've been close. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think I'm the Clea in my relationship with Lisa. No? No. Oh, no, you're Steven yourself? I guess I am. Uh, I feel like there's give and take. We're all a little Clea and a little Stevie sometimes. Yeah. Oh, man, this is neither here nor there, but I got my favorite compliment. What was it? So I quit a job recently, mm -hmm. and one of the people who I had very limited interactions with made the comment about me saying something with the phrase, pearls of wisdom. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. So I've been reminding Tina every day <laughs> that I have pearls of wisdom. Yep, you're a real wisdom oyster. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Just the Steve Strange conversation made me think of that. That seemed like something like he would like to yeah. think, I will leave you with this pearl of my wisdom. <laughs> I've ingested your granule of wisdom sand and have turned it into something beautiful. Claire. I've been forming my own wisdom mucus around your irritant granule of information and have formed this beautiful pearl of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a clever sorcerous oyster. Yeah, I didn't say any of that shit. Oh, next time. Okay. It did crack me up when Jack showed back up at Steve's pad. And Val is just like, no, no, no. I'm going to shut this down in the bud. I'm not staying here. I'm here on a personal mission. And you got to get the fuck out of here. And his response is like, no, it's cool. God, Val, I'm here because I want something. Bad. I want it bad. I need help bad, Val. And he's such a... Ah, he's such a... I thought we were done with him. I was so happy when he got knocked out at the beginning of the last issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now he's all conscious again and talking and saying things, talking about himself in the third person a lot and being a real turd. Yep. There was one little highlight, which was, I think, at, like the last page or something where 
Fury's putting out the APB for him. <laughs> he's just basically like, he's confused, we need his help, don't worry about him. <laughs> he says something to the effect of, I don't like the way they said that. So what he says is, he all that information is imparted. Hellcat says, now what do we do? And Jack says, hey, I don't like the way you said that. Mm-hmm. Like, he is immediately assuming that they are going to turn him over to the authorities. And I think he might be right. What the fuck else would you do? Yeah. Jack Norris. Jack Norris tells you one thing. Nick Fury tells you another. I know who I'm betting on. Yeah. But also, it does make, like, what Hellcat said is, now what do we do? I'm trying to think of a line read on that that would lead to that reaction. Like, now what do we do? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what they they would do. Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable thing to say and isn't leaning in one direction or another. So... My guess is either Jack Norris is just like, oh shit, I'm hosed because he knows that it makes sense and that's why he's reacting to it that way. Or like maybe she's just like real sarcastic and it's obvious what their course of action is. Oh, now what do we do? With the hand gesture. Yeah, with the hand gesture of her jerking off. (laughs) Like, now what do we do? I'm pantomiming jerking off, sorry. I think that's probably what Hellcat did. And that's why that's, and why, that's why he responded. Like, I don't like the way you said that. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. That's <laughs> My guess is whenever any of the defenders interact with him, they are pantomiming, jerking off. Yeah, but especially Hellcat because she's funny and, yeah, and she's got a good <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> and she's also sick of his garbage. Yeah, and she just met him. Yep. Doesn't take long. But every time that they're he's, he's talking, she's just doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should be canon. And I think that she has just such an infectious, free-spirited personality that the rest of the Defenders have also taken that up. They just started doing that. Yeah, even the ones who don't understand it. Like, the Hulk probably doesn't understand what that gesture means, but now he does it whenever he talks to Jack Norris. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit, I want to see that. (laughs) I mentioned that Jack talked about himself in the third person a lot. He is not the only person in this book. I know that happens a fair amount in comic books, especially of this era in general. Characters Ricky Hendersoning and just referring to themselves in the third person. I feel like in this issue, it is especially excessive. It's the new new crew? Well, we get a fill-in author, John Warner, on this one. And I think it is something that lends itself as a thing you do if you are not particularly familiar with a character... I don't know, like the so says Doctor Strange, or you're tangling with so-and-so now. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's an easy way to explain who a character is through telling rather than showing. Mm-hmm. But I made a list of the characters who refer to themselves in the third person in this issue. At uh, Bob Dole. <laughs> yep. Nobody eats Bob Dole's peanut butter, but Bob Dole. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. He oddly does not appear in this issue. Oh. oh yeah. So, my bad. Unless maybe it's, you know... You have a different edition. He might be in the, the trade paper in the trade paperback yeah. in a way that he is not in the original printing. It may have been like left on the cutting room floor and then they put it back in as a bonus to new readers. Could be. So, okay. Bob Dole, the Hulk. Hulk always talks about himself in the third person, yeah, that's so that's normal. kind of a cheat. Yep. Kyle, yep. Nick Fury, Moon Knight, Jack Norris, Lots, Hellcat, Wonder Man, and Valkyrie. Dang. Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. That's too much, actually. I kind of think so, too. That's cheating. Or laziness? I don't know. Mm, 
like I said, I think it's a it's a stylistic shortcut. You get to tell more about a character if they're kind of narrating themselves more. But it's pronounced in this, I think. Yeah, and Corey found it noticeable. Mm. Hub didn't care for it. It is kind of easier. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Let's just do the rest of the show. <laughs> mm, Hub will have to think about that. I had talked about the fact that this has a fill-in issue vibe to it. And that actually gets explained a little bit. I don't think the trade paperback that you had has the letters page. Mm -mm. So there is a box within the letters page that I think is fairly illuminating on this point. And I'm just going to read it. You're probably wondering why we called you all here. It's like this. We want to explain the situation of the unstable scripters. Basically, the problem is that it seems to take six weeks to produce each monthly issue of a comics title, from plot to art to script to letters to inks and colors, and you can readily see the built-in destruct factor there. Inevitably, poor Klaus, almost last down the line, has to make up all the lost time by doing a superhuman hurry job on the inking, which is hardly fair to the kinky one. Mostly through his awesome efforts, last issue was saved from missing the deadline, or else you'd have read a reprint instead of the sensational Scorpio prelude story. So this time around, we took no such chances, especially since circumstances stole one of our regularly scheduled scripters. Virtually overwhelmed by his demanding duties as an assistant editor, Roguish Roger opted to take a hiatus from scripting, Thus, in effect, adding unexpectedly to the already woebegone workload of Dave the Dude at a time when the red-haired rascal could barely rumba to the writing to which he was rightfully committed. Also, he was eager as an inebriated aardvark to get started on the body of the sinister Scorpio saga, a bizarre character study in a career of evil that he and Giffen had so carefully concocted in the meanwhile. Thus, the solution was just an editor away, in the form of Jolton John Warner, who eagerly agreed to an emergency scripting assignment. You're really a wonder, man. And that's why the creative credits are once more in upheaval, so soon after we thought we had things settled down here in The Defenders. And then they go on to say that things should be back to regular next issue. That's pretty cool. It is, and it explains kind of what's going on, and I appreciate that. That being said, it does explain why there is kind of a mishmash feel, and this feels, again, like a bit of a placeholder issue, where the storyline that we'd established we were going to move forward doesn't move forward at all. We don't see Scorpio again in this issue. The issue started with Norris on the run from the cops being captured by Nick Fury. And then in this issue, he's freed from being captured by Nick Fury and is on the run again. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was kind of interesting. John Warner is a writer who I like a lot. He is mostly known as an editor. He was in charge of editing Marvel's black and white magazines at the time. Mm. So doing like Deadly Hands of Kung Fu and the Rampaging Hulk and stuff like that. And he also, when he was writing, he wrote some at Warren before here and was mostly known for writing supernatural stuff. Mm -hmm. And he wrote uh, a fair amount of the early Son of Satan issues. Okay. So that's who he is. And it kind of comes through in the writing, I think. It's, it's got kind of a gothic feel to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think he did a good job overall. But like I said, didn't seem as familiar with the characters, which is why you get a lot of third person narrative. Yeah. So, taking all that into consideration, not bad. No, really not. I like that they um, give you so much insight into what's going on on the creative side and the personnel and everything. My big takeaway from that is that I guess Klaus Jansen's into some weird shit. Yeah, what was the kinky line about? It's they just call him the kinky one in capital letters. Maybe he had curly hair. I think he was just into some weird shit. Whoa. Good for him. Hey. I'm not here to yuck Klaus Jansen's yum. 
Kyle has a fun issue where he just kind of fucks off all issue. Just wants to sit in the tub and read Doonesbury. Who doesn't? It is by far the most I have ever identified with Kyle Richmond. All the dude wants to do, sit in a tub, read Doonesbury, and then go get some scotch with a pretty lady. Having a drink in the tub? Yeah. Reading some comics in the tub? Seems like a pretty good adventure. Mm -hmm. It's a very mellow issue where he doesn't do any superhero adventuring. He probably, with the exception of Jack Norris, is the character who talks to and about himself the most in the third person. But I didn't mind it in that he really did win me over with just the fact that he was reading Doonesbury in the tub. Especially 70s Doonesbury, which, you know, it's when they, they did the whole Walden Puddle thing and Roland Headley's hanging out with them. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good time. All right. Good for him. Why do you think the issue was called Night Moves? Working on some... Um, Just not... as an homage to Bob Seger? He's got the Silver Bullet band, so maybe uh, maybe Moon, Moon Knight. Knight likes them because they can fight werewolves together. Moon Knight. Uh, yeah, that's the only connection I can find. Oh, not some Night Moves. A. Working on A Night Moves. It is a weird pronunciation that Bob Seger does in that song. Mm -hmm. Working on a Night Moves. I never Do you think he has an Italian it. accent? Hey. Do you think that's like a Mario thing? It's a me, a Baba Seeger. Working on a night moves. I'm working on the night moves. <laughs> it's like, no, no, Bob, take it down a little bit. Working on a D-night moves? No, no, no. Working on a night moves. All right, we'll take it. Yep. Close enough. Good enough gold. And he just kisses his fingers like he's the chef on the pizza box. Oh, <laughs> Did I tell you I knew a guy who had a tramp stamp tattoo that said night moves? <laughs> No, that's funny. Yeah, he's a funny guy. There was one turn of phrase that I had never heard of before, and I was curious is if you had heard it. I think it's Moon Knight talking about basically we need to sort out what's going on with you guys trying to arrest Jack Norris, but he uses the phrase, dope this all out. Yeah. Have you heard that before? I feel like I have. It, it has a ring of familiarity to it. I'm not sure. I'm certainly able to figure out it out from context the way that you were, but it sounds like a, like noir detective thing to say old-timey like yeah like back when they called mistakes boners <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't know that until the from the Mad Men show i oh the, the first time that i had heard that oh it, it came up in a comic book that i covered while you were gone hmm. i don't i think i showed remarkable restraint i don't think i even mentioned it on the show but yeah in uh you pulled there a was real, this uh, boner i guess it could have been a boner that i didn't <laughs> mention boners <laughs> It's just a missed opportunity. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it was in the uh, Green Arrow and Speedy section. There was a guy who was an enthusiastic uh, amateur dairy farmer. And he pulled a real boner when he made a building shaped like a wedge of cheese and forgot to put holes in it. Oh, no. <laughs> what a boner. Yeah, that's a boner move if ever there were one. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, Green Arrow and Speedy were able to dope things out. Okay. Put some holes in the cheese. Mm-hmm. Use some long. drill arrows. Oh, good, good. Hmm. All right. Glad we got to the bottom of that. Indeed. Got it all doped out. Yep. We really doped out those boners. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. What do you feel like hitting up first, Corey? Oh, man. How about, uh, steel pies? Okay. 
What did you find to be a pie not made out of steel in this issue? Now, just a reminder, we are switching this up so it is no longer just limited to the best metaphor, but what words in this story did you enjoy, much like you would enjoy a pie, were it not made out of steel? So, I have a couple choices. One of them I did not enjoy. Oh! But I found it worthy of note. We actually touched on it already, and it's when Norris shows up, and Val understandably is just like, nope, get out. And he says to her, turn off the ice. Yeah. Which, you know, because he thinks everything's about him and she's being cold or whatever. But, I don't know, it's very evocative of that, like, you know, that was the feeling he got. I hate that he said that to her. and I, think I hate bullshit. that he said that to her and it is bullshit, but that is actually pretty good character work. Especially for a writer who is not used to working on this title. Mm-hmm. That he kind of nailed what a self-involved dickhole Jack Norris is. Yep. Good call. So that was one I didn't like. But as you mentioned, it was well well placed. There was a another one that I th- actually had to look it up, and it was something that Fury said to his goons, and he calls them gold bricks. Oh yeah, and then tells them to uh, stop. Ma- is it mashing? What is he saying? All right, you gold bricks, stop beating your gums and start moving your butts. Crack me up. It does, and that actually makes sense when you have the idea in your head that Nick Fury is like a World War II veteran. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like an old man thing to say. And I like it when people remember that he is from that era. So, good call. I thought it was pretty funny. I liked those. I also, we have talked about it before, but when Kyle is about to take his bath, and he says, Kyle's gonna think of himself for a while. As far as tonight's concerned, superheroes are characters in comic books, and all my paper carries is Doonesbury. I liked that. I liked the reference to Doonesbury, especially 70s Doonesbury, as we discussed, but also that's a fun metaphor. I, I think that works out well. He's taking a little him time, which it's not like that's out of character, and it's not like he doesn't mostly take him time, but still. When I read that that panel, I thought to myself, ooh, Kyle is scoring some points with Huff. <laughs> yeah, he did. Later on, I've got a couple of Kyle-related ones. I really like the caption work that is happening when he is talking about how he's going to go on his uh, Chivas Regal date. Meanwhile, Kyle still soaks in his bath, blissfully unaware of the threads of fate intricately woven through the night. And yet those threads ever continue to weave, forming a strange tapestry that will soon draw all the defenders to its very heart. Nicely done. It's nicely phrased, and I think that really does speak to john warner's background in writing horror like that that is what i was talking about when i said it had kind of like a gothic quality to it mm-hmm. like that's the kind of shit you can see in like a son of satan or a werewolf comic from the time mm-hmm. and i thought it worked really well pretty good where are your favorite sound effects in this issue there were some pretty good sound effects in this issue yeah yeah a fair amount to choose from i went with two that were part of the same sequence of action on page 10 i believe it was all right one of them is the noise, I think, of a pipe bouncing off somebody's head. I liked that one, too. Which makes the sound kunk, K-U-N-K. Yep, that's not, in fact, a pipe. That is one of the silver batons that Moon Knight carries. Ah. But, yeah, I liked that, too. It's just very evocative, and it's also the fact that it comes out of nowhere, and it's like, well, he's in the middle of talking, just like kunk, kunk. So I like that a lot. And then um, a few panels later, the sound of a uh, tear gas or a smoke grenade Mm -hmm. deploying, which makes the sound shh or shaft. Mm -hmm. I can dig it. (laughs) 
It's a complicated sound. No one understands it but Nick Fury. Mm. Yeah, I had Kunk written down too, and then the other two that I had. One is an explosion noise. It is Wonder Man smashing a piece of giant machinery that is about to fall on him. And it makes the noise, Ska-mash! And it made me think like, oh, like a Ska-mash-up. Mm-hmm. Like when Skavuvi did that cover of Hava Nagila ah. on the I've Got You Covered Ska cover songs compilation. Oh, no. Okay. Yes, it's a real Ska mash. Ugh. Oh, a Ska monster mash? Mm-mm. Did, they, did anyone ever do a Ska cover of the monster mash? I hope and not. And also, oh, they did. They had to. It can't be good. How do you figure? I figured... It's combining two wonderful things. Ska and the Monster Mash. (laughs) How could that not be good? I did like both of them very much at different points in my life in the past. I don't know if those two points are going to converge in a way that I would find pleasant now. That's, That's all I'm saying. I guess that's fair. I was playing for you before we started recording the Monster Swim, the uh, sequel to the Monster Mash that I used as the theme music last week. It was pretty fun. Almost exactly like the Monster Mash. In many ways, I think a better horn section. And also, (laughs) it does have Frankenstein saying, Swimming good! Which, so true, Frankenstein. Mm. So true. So I liked Ska Mash. Okay. The other noise that kind of cracked me up was later on in the book when Wonder Man is once again clumsily smashing a giant piece of equipment that does not belong to him that he has been entrusted to protect. Mm -hmm. It makes the noise crash. And that made me wonder if perhaps he was breaking the Avengers crash. Crash? Yeah, the the nativity scene. Oh, I didn't know that's what that was. Yeah, nativity scene is called a crash. So I wonder if they had like a special Avengers nativity scene where Iron Man probably has himself as the baby Jesus. And Wonder Man just uh, broke it. Oh, man. He's going to be in... A heap of trouble. Tony Stark will not be pleased. He will not. That is coming out of his paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know it. Sartorially speaking, what fashion in this issue did you find worthy of note? Well, it was my first introduction to Wonder Man. Ah. And I thought his getup was, was pretty good. It is. Later, later on, when I first met him in the 80s, he starts wearing a, like, red almost trench coat but like comes down to just below the knees has big lapels Mm. and uh just wears that with sunglasses and like a white turtleneck under it so this was a very different look than the one that i'm familiar seeing him in but i think this was his original look and yeah it's got the red and green very christmassy complimentary colors Mm -hmm. and a big red w as part of it Mm-hmm. Wraparound shades. Mm-hmm. Some Ray-Bans. Yeah, Oakleys, maybe. Probably Oakleys. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Those are Oakleys. Mm-hmm. He's an Oakleys-level hero. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. which I, th- I think that's like B to C tier of hero. Mm-hmm. But I like this outfit, too. Yeah, red and green. Distinctive, nice shades. Uh, let's see, I also had the... I guess they're not goons, technically. They're more like employees of the government, but the two dudes were in the same outfit. In I don't think colors. the two were mutually de- exclusive, but yeah, I noted that too. It was like they were told not to wear the same thing. And so they're like, all right, different turtleneck and long jacket combos. It's all they had, man. It was the late 70s, early 80s Yeah, stuff. Yeah. They didn't have the giant shoulder pads yet. Some pleated slacks. Oh. Probably one of those, uh, like, those leather braided 
Brady belt. Is that 70s? I think that's more 80s. I feel like that's 80s, but yeah. this is this is towing the line, man. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a liminal space of fashion. It's only a matter of years before those mock turtlenecks lose their sleeves and become neon colors. Oh boy. And the socks are removed. Removed. <laughs> yeah, those turtlenecks will turn teal. Mm-hmm. The jacket's over them, the collars will be popped, and yeah, they'll be weird like fake shark print designs sure on them i have some pictures of us attending my uncle dan's wedding oh that's unfortunate yeah that was the serious like i i want to look like sunny crockett yep like yeah and we were both doing like different sunny crockett looks you were honestly doing yours a little bit better you were a couple years older than me though i don't know how good that is <laughs> that that was <laughs> But thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I was definitely tubs to your Crockett. Well, it's hard to find all that uh, <laughs> Ocean Pacific brand I do stuff re- in New Hampshire. I do remember talking to my parents and being like, no, 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 I don't need to wear the tie. I, I And I want the button-down shirt to be pink, and I'm going to not do the top few buttons. Mm-hmm. Wow, you really had it <laughs> figured out. Yep, and I also definitely remember that I believe I was wearing penny loafers that did not have socks. No socks allowed? Yeah. Not cool. So chafy. Yeah, no, it was a bad... It's a bad idea. Yeah. Especially for New Hampshire. Or, yeah, well, or this was, in, was. The, the wedding was in D.C. Okay. It was summer. Okay. And so, yeah, that was very chafy. Yeah. It was not cold. But, yeah, there's no good outcome to wearing loafers with no socks. Mm-mm. I was also, like, I think, like, 12. Did yeah. not carry the look off well. It's a tough scene. Yeah. Tough time. Yeah. But at least we didn't get beat up by Moon Knight. All right. Cheers. That would have been a real boner. Other fashion, I think we already discussed Val's new outfit. Mm-hmm. No real need to go over that again. Nice greaves. Yep, nice greaves, probably. What was your favorite panel? I had a couple to choose from. I think ultimately my favorite panel is, I believe it's on page 11, and it's when Clea figures out the magical doings of how to make Val's new costume come up and she snaps her finger. Okay, I had the two panels on either side of that one. I like that one. Yeah, she uh, she snaps her, her fingers and Val is suddenly wearing her new outfit. Um, oh, she snaps her fingers and Val is suddenly wearing her old new outfit mm-hmm. before Clea makes the modifications. My favorite panel is either the one right before that where Clea is going, hmm, how do I fix that? Before she has the moment. It's just a nice close-up of Clea, and I I know I've said it before, but I love the way Klaus Janssen draws these panels that are close-ups of women's faces. It's really, really cool looking. It's a little bit almost gothic in certain ways, and also almost like from a romance comic, and it looks really cool. Mm -hmm. My other favorite is her making the alterations where she is shooting a beam out of her forehead and is surrounded by Kirby Crackle, and her hands look like just these disembodied things that are encased in spheres of fire. And what she is doing is making alterations on a costume. She is truly the seamstress supreme, and it is just a dope-looking panel. Do you think that's why she has those crazy bangs? Because she keeps shooting fire out of her forehead, Uh and that it's just kind of wilting from the heat of the blast? Or it's just forced the bangs into that weird little... Shape? The weird little pretzel? Mm-hmm. Could be. Every issue of Defenders comic has a worst offender and a best defender. In this issue, 
who was the worst offender? All right. So we may disagree on this one, but I thought for being a self-involved whiner and not doing much and sitting around in the tub when serious shit was going down, as fucking Kyle, man. Oh, he takes a bath. He's practicing self-care in a way that I think is necessary. And he is reading Doonesbury. I don't think we can fault a man for reading Doonesbury in the tub, Corey. Not even if that man is Kyle Richmond. Okay. I can fault Kyle for most things. He doesn't even understand it. He just <laughs> pretends. <laughs> He's just hoping Boopsie's going to get naked in this one. Yeah. All right. I'll allow it. He just keeps getting it mixed up with Bloom County. <laughs> like, where's the damn penguin? <laughs> I love Bloom County so much. Those were like my two favorite comic strips as a kid. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I made the Bloom County joke. Yeah, no, good call. I get that. I decided to go with, and you might disagree with me on this, whether he counts as an option, but I went with Jack Norris. Because it seems like he's back with the team. And he does punch a government agent in the jaw. That was actually my first choice, but I thought we were being more of sticklers for rules. So yeah, I, I left him out. I think he counts because he, he is actually fighting alongside the defenders in this one. And he's a real fucking turd. So I went with Jack Norris for a number of reasons. The main ones being I just fucking hate Jack Norris. And the way he acted when he first showed up and is like, now, now, calm down. I'm here because I want something from you. Fuck you, dude. But also... Because he has a new friend who just saved his life and he doesn't even introduce him. There are like four panels where while Jack tells his whole story, Moon Knight is just standing next to him and finally introduces himself after everyone has been ignoring him. And I get it from the Defender's standpoint. They meet a lot of people. It was like when I was bartending, I would always be a little bit afraid to like to say nice to meet you or something to people. Because I'd be like, oh, maybe I've met this person before mm -hmm. and I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I get it. From their point, they're like, is this a good to see you again or a nice to meet you type situation? Mm -hmm. But Jack, you got no excuse. This guy just saved your life, mm -hmm. as far as you know. Certainly saved you from being arrested. And you bring him into this unfamiliar situation and then just leave him off to the side and don't introduce him to your frenemies, the defenders. Not cool. Typical Norris. Yeah, typical Norris. I thought you said to pull a Norris. Like you're, and, and I think that is what that is. That is pulling a Norris. Yep. He really pulled a Norris. Yep. A real boner. Yep. <laughs> oh, now I'm picturing the word Norris being used as a synonym for boner in the other direction. No, don't do that. A raging Norris. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but yeah, so Jack, Jack's just the fucking worst. Conversely, who did you have as the best defender? Well, this defender did not really get a lot of time on the pages, but I think, speaking of practicing self-care and the value of such a thing, knowing when to take some time for yourself and to just get the fuck out. Okay, wait a minute. So, the Hulk knowing when to take some time off and get the fuck out makes him the best, but Kyle Richmond knowing when to take some time off and fucking off makes him the worst? Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, Hulk did a great job. Good job. Going Hulk. away. <laughs> yeah. Like, because right before that happened, he's like, Hulk, you're not even listening to me. You know, no, so it's like, oh my God, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. I was like, you go. Yeah. That sounds like a bummer, too. <laughs> listening to Kyle? Yes. Yeah, it kind of does. I had Moon Knight. Hmm. 
I love Moon Knight, but for a few very specific reasons, I chose him as the best. He questions authority and interferes with what he views as an unlawful arrest. Mm -hmm. Good for him. Mm -hmm. He introduces himself, which also good for him. Very brave. Sure. And most importantly, after he rescues Jack Norris, he will not let Jack Norris fly inside his helicopter. What? When they go on their trip, he has a strict no Norris inside the helicopter rule. Jack Norris has to hang off of the rope ladder. <laughs> I totally missed that somehow. Yeah. They're going on a fairly long trip. And I think there is a very specific reason for that. My suspicion is that when Jack Norris was shot with the ray gun and passed out, he pooped his pants. Oh, leave that outside. Yeah. You have to have standards when you have nice things like a helicopter. Now, it's not pictured in this issue, but Moon Knight's helicopter pilot is a dude named Frenchie. And he doesn't want to subject Frenchie to that bullshit. To either Jack Norris or to Jack Norris's poopy pants. Mm -hmm. If you're in an enclosed space, you have to keep that space sanitary. And so, great job, Moon Knight. Don't let a shitty pants Jack Norris inside your helicopter. Ever. Okay. And that is why Moon Knight is the best defender. Man, you get a lot out of that panel. I, I can't fault your logic. <laughs> I don't know how else it could be interpreted. Fair enough. Otherwise, you're going on a helicopter trip. You want to sit down inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's windy out there and dangerous. But no, he, he makes Jack Norris go full Muppet caper right on the outside of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember after watching The Great Muppet Caper, I petitioned my parents to let me ride on the outside of the car the way the Muppets did on the uh, Electric Mayhem's bus. How'd that go? Didn't go well. No. They wouldn't let me. Mm. Too bad. Yeah, I know. Seems like it would have been really been fun. Would have been fun for a second. Yeah, like when you were playing Stuntman Bill? Mm-hmm. All fun games till you fall off a moving car and get hurt. Have we discussed Stuntman Bill on the show before? Oh, probably. Well, let, let, refresh people's memory. What was Stuntman Bill? So, when we were kids growing up in New Hampshire, a friend of mine... His dad owned a garage, an auto body type place. Mechanic. Kind of a junkyard. Junkyard, right? yeah, a fixed cars place. And so at a very young age, he had access to cars and learned to drive. We had a little Datsun 210. He had one. And gosh, we were like, I don't know, 10? Yeah, and this was when you were in, living on the in the community, the kind of community. Yeah, it was out up. in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Right, and they're old logging roads, which are privately owned by you guys. So you can drive without a license on them. Well, I still think it's not allowed by law to do so. Anyway, so so yeah, we had this car, and we used to play this game, Stuntman Bill, and the object of the game was one kid would be driving, and another kid would be on the outside of the car, right? usually on the roof, mm -hmm. and whoever could stay hung the longest would win that <laughs> round of Stuntman Bill. That was the game. It's a good game. It was a lot of fun until, <laughs> until it wasn't. <laughs> Nobody was uh, killed. Right, but the kid did there were some... stab his hand through a broken-off antenna, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. not ideal. No, that was kind of the end of the... End of Stuntman Bill. End of the game. Yeah. Yep, all the parents got a call. My mom, very serious, took me aside. Corey, do you know about Stuntman Bill? I was like, mm, no, what's that? <laughs> Never heard of it. Is that a show? And Did that, did that work? Yeah. Oh, nice. I think I think she saw right through it, and she was just like, "I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't yeah, want to deal with this." I definitely was the beneficiary of "I don't want to deal with this." Yeah, I at one point was really into the idea of throwing knives, um, <laughs> like any kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they were just steak knives, so not ideal for throwing. Mm. And so I had trouble making them stick and things until I came up with the idea that if you tie a string around the base of the knife, 
then you can just twirl it and fling it, and the centrifugal force will make it fly straight. Oh. So I got really into doing that. And there were kind of a lot of knife holes in the wall. And my dad, I, I don't know how, it's some kind of weird kid logic where I was just like, nobody will notice those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turns out people notice it when there are knife holes in the wall. And he's like, who did this? And what what happened here? And I was like, I don't know. I Maybe the cat? Mm. He's like, the cat did not stab the wall. <laughs> In my mind, they look like scratch Cats marks. are the worst. But also, and it, but he let it go. He's oh. like, I don't think that's what happened. But I'm sure there was just a like, you know, I don't want to fucking deal with this. And I also don't want to have to spend more time supervising my child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And what did not occur to me was that he did not know that I was throwing knives to his mind, I was just walking up to the wall and stabbing it. Which is Which not, is worse and more troubling. Which is probably why he was just like, <laughs> well, just pretend that's not a thing. Yeah, good call. Yep. I get it. Yeah. No, it's, it's an easy way out. <laughs> anyway, just, Moon Knight is the best defender. <laughs> good job, Moon Knight. Now, Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, so in this issue, the Hulk's rules reinforce my choice for worst defender, and the Hulk's rules are Bird Nose talks too much. Ah, Bird Nose does talk too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from that, we can extrapolate that, you know, just stay away from toxic people. This has come up before, mm. but self-care is important, and, you know, there are people out there that will just drain your energy. Yeah. And you got to know when to extricate yourself from situations where you're going to be around people like that. And the Hulk really excels at that. Yeah, I think that's a really good rule. Mm-hmm. And it's a valuable lesson we could all learn from the Hulk. Yep. My Hulk's rule was don't pop in unannounced. Mm. Call ahead. You don't know what people are going to be doing and value their time. They could be doing something else that's more important. You're not necessarily the center of their world the way you are of yours. And so respect people's time. Call ahead. Don't pop in unannounced. If Hellcat had followed that rule, then there would have been a lot less getting punched and punching of superheroes by and to each other. Mm-hmm. And really, it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the story in any way, because that fight with Wonder Man has no effect on anything. So, uh, just, you know, it doesn't even make good story sense to pop in unannounced. Call just don't ahead. do it. Call ahead. Call ahead. I like it. Also, if it's an enclosed area... Don't let somebody who has pooped their pants inside of it. And I guess if Jack Norris is talking, just make sure to do the jerk-off motion the whole time oh, with yeah. your hand. Yeah. yeah, 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 always. And that's The Hulk's Rules. He has so much to teach us this week. <laughs> Pearls of wisdom. Pearls of wisdom. <laughs> well, Corey, I think that just leaves us with one more category. You've come to the wrong place. Ah, And that was submitted by Joe Blauberg. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. That's a good one. Yeah. In the year of our Lord, 1977, and the month of our Lord, May, how did Wong demonstrate that you've come to the Wong place? So, there was some good news for Wong. Ooh. But let's take a step back and kind of set the stage for for where we are in time and, and history. And so, 1977, May... There's been a lot of inflation since then. And oh, yes. so at that time, the median 
income was around $15,000 a year. Wong had just gotten a raise. Ooh. Yep. Above the median income. Feeling flush. Feeling flush. And so to celebrate, he went out and he bought himself. He's a, a, a fan of, um, of fancy cars. Oh. Among many other things. But uh, he didn't go too fancy. He got himself a nice 77 um, 320i BMW Ooh. for uh, just under $8,000, which is what they were going for at that time. Nice. So put his... He could uh, save himself a little bit of money if he didn't have them uh, put in the uh, turn signals because uh, it's a BMW, so you're not going to use those. No, no, no need for that. Anyway, so yeah, he's feeling good about that. He's happy, you know, he's able to fill his car up for about 60 cents a gallon. Wow. Which is what, what gas was going for back then. So, okay, that's the economics of the time. He wanted to celebrate. And so he thought, you know, well, Steve just gave me this raise. So maybe I'll take him out. It's a little like, hey, thanks, boss, thing. And um, went to go see a movie. What movie did you go see? Well, Steve was really excited about Star Wars, which was like, you know, those blowing up and breaking all the box office records. This is when it came out. And it's a big deal. Picturing Steve being excited about Star Wars is actually pretty adorable. Yeah, yeah, he was super excited about it, but Wong's like, no, I, I think what Steve really needs is to have a good laugh. So he took him instead to see Smokey and the Bandit. Oh! And then after that, they were all hopped up on fun car chase hijinks, got in that BMW and tore <laughs> up the city. So that's what that's what they were up to. Man, you stole part of mine. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's inevitable. Of course they went and saw Smokey and the Bandit. I mean, Wong is from the Himalayas. He hears that there's a character called the Snowman. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the Abominable Snowman. Sure. Is <laughs> <laughs> is Right. One Jerry does. Reed. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. That's a... Love that movie. And I think he kind of needed it as kind of an antidote to the other thing that he was up to that month. Mm. You see, speaking of bandits... Someone had tried to break into Steve's Sanctum Sanctorum earlier that month. Oh, they didn't know about his security measures? Actually, they did know about his security measures, and that's why they went to extraordinary means to try to circumvent them. They employed a mystical device called a Hand of Glory. Are you familiar? That sounds very familiar. It is a mystical object steeped in lore that is the mummified hand of a dead person that was hanged for murder. And you then use wax made from the rest of the corpse to form it into a candle. And if you use it, you can, according to legend, uh, open any door. Charlie Strauss books. That's where I know that from. Okay, Ah. go ahead. Fortunately, Wong was able to interrupt the bandits in the act, and they left it behind. But there was one finger that had been burned down in the wick on it. So Steve decided he needed to investigate this problem. He did some half-assed research and was like, Oh, four-fingered hand of the dead? This seems like the work of Jerry Garcia. Oh, no. And so he sent Wong to a series of Grateful Dead concerts (laughs) to investigate. (laughs) I get it. To investigate the burglary. So Wong went to five concerts, which were recently released on a super Grateful Dead al- live album. That's like 20 um, CDs, man. Or seven, LPs. 17 full-length oh, CDs. Oh, Wong. Um, Poor Wong. He had to go to five whole Grateful Dead concerts to investigate this. By the end of it, he, I mean, it's not bad music. It's not particularly Wong's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And... 
he was pretty sick of it by the end of it, which was why, as a kind of cultural antidote to spending that much time at a Grateful Dead concert, he was very happy to see Smokey and the Bandit afterwards. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just as comes, a palate cleanser. All comes full circle. Yeah. Getting his BMW. <laughs> that was what happened when he went to the wrong place. <laughs> oh, I'll say. Wow. Well, Corey, it is nice to be back in the comic book room with you. Likewise. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for covering this with us. Anytime. And you'll be back next week to talk about Tales of the Teen Titans number 51. Indeed. Old New Era without George Perez. Oh. I know. Mm. We'll have to see what it has to offer. Well, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Tumblr. Uh, we are on Twitter under the handle ttwasteland underscore. It's probably an at sign in front of that. You, you knew that part. I don't think you need to say the at anymore just like you don't need to say the www part yeah i think you're right i think it's implied sure if you would like to donate monetarily you can do so at patreon.com slash tt wasteland if you do so you will get access to a whole bunch of stuff i've been posting some videos lately of reviews of classic comic books this last week i talked about daredevil number seven which features namor fighting revolving doors and elevators you will also get access to the monthly podcast that I do with Lisa called What the Duck, a podcast most filed but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A show whose name has diminishing rewards but whose content hopefully does not. And uh, yeah, that show's a lot of fun. That is for our donors. And uh, so yeah, if you would like to become one, then that would be patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, I'd certainly appreciate that. It'd be nice to get some more ears on the show. And uh, that's the things. Until next time, when we dope it all out. Working on those night moves. Working on a night move. Mamma mia. Hey. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Bye. And they knew it. ever stops barking. Maybe you need some of Bob Dole's peanut butter. Mm. Nobody touches Bob Dole's peanut butter with Bob Dole. Is that from Saturday Night Live? Yes, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think they had Just like Bob Dole in like a real world situation. Oh man, I dated dated myself. Oh, I totally thought you were going to say you dated someone from the real world. <laughs> I was like, was it Puck? <laughs> I, I, I did not have that, ah. that pleasure.